Thanks for checking out the Tennessee Holler Podcast, the flagship podcast of the Tennessee Holler Podcast Network. Subscribe to and support the Holler at www.tnholler.com to help us fearlessly yell the truth about Tennessee. And be sure to subscribe to the growing family of Holler Podcasts while you're there. You can also follow the Holler on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at the TN Holler. Tennessee. 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 Lord, I've really been real stressed. All right. Here we go again. Hi, Cassie. Hey, how's it going? <laughs> going good. Uh, <laughs> hi, everybody out there. Share the link if you would so people know we're here. Today, we're going to tackle a few topics that are near and dear to our hearts, especially Ben Shapiro coming to town. <laughs> oh, Very our favorite. excited about that. Yes, I know everybody is in their feelings about Ben bringing the Daily Wire crew to Tennessee because just what we need is more white dudes who don't think racism is an issue mm. uh truly ugly stuff and no surprise that he feels like they're gonna be right at home here in right. tennessee again follow the holler at the tn holler on twitter and facebook follow all the hollers all throughout the state thank you to everybody who contributes you guys help make that happen every dollar helps a ton if you chip in 10 bucks a month or more we're gonna send you a holler hat Jason has one. He calls it his favorite hat ever. I'm best. wearing one. Cassie's wearing one. We have. <laughs> I think Jason all, and I are matching. All kinds of colors here. We have pink ones. Look at these hats. So Those if you guys awesome. want a hat, chip in. Keep us going. It all really helps. And we have other places we want to add. Clarksville, Murray mm-hmm. County. We have more that we want to end up adding. So today we're also going to be joined by Justin Jones. Pretty exciting. He should be here in a few minutes. That is pretty awesome. I haven't talked to him Definitely. since his 62-day stint outside the Capitol. Right. You know, I know that took a toll on him, and I, I haven't really seen an interview with him after that. So I think yeah. this is really the first time he's jumping on. What do you think about that? I'm really excited. I yeah, I hope he's doing okay, and I I think I've seen at least on Instagram that he's been ma- taking some time for himself. I hope that 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 he feels a little bit refreshed um, because, as you said, I'm sure that took a toll. I mean, he just did such an amazing service for our state. Um, and all the people that were out there um, did as well. And yeah, it's really kind of crazy how mainstream media does just doesn't really cover um, even yeah. even you know more liberal media just doesn't really cover protest this the way that I think that they should. Sixty two day protest at the time, I believe it was the longest running protest in the country. Really didn't get a whole lot yeah. of coverage. So we'll talk to Justin about that. Stick with us. A couple of things that we touched on last time, in case you missed it. Steve Dickerson, senator in Nashville, was popped for multi-million dollars worth of Medicare fraud. He is still running for office in Nashville. A PAC called Better Future PAC run by Wade Monday called on Steve Dickerson to disclose the terms of his settlement and tell us what it was. He's running for Senate again in a tight race in Nashville. So if you know people Mm -hmm. in Nashville, make sure they know that Steve Dickerson is a crook. His CEO is in federal prison, and he probably shouldn't be running for Senate again, but he is, and I really hope that they don't send him back. 
Yeah, it's I mean, Heidi Campbell is running against him. Um, so definitely give her a look. And and regardless, like we shouldn't have, um, you know, criminals in office. And yeah, as, that's a wild thought. Isn't it's it? pretty it's pretty wild. I mean, you know, when it when it goes all the way to the top, it's kind of hard to have any sort of level of consistent. Well, I guess it is consistent in that we have criminals, lots of criminals in office, unfortunately. Um, but yeah, it's 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 pretty terrible. And he really does like the public deserves to see as Wade said yesterday, the public deserves to see what went down in that court case and what exactly he did wrong because there are all these allegations. It was settled in court. He had to pay, he paid 20, like he paid a good chunk of money, right? Yeah. I can't remember how much supposedly he, he pocketed like $6 million. Right. He wrote like 750 false prescriptions and here he is running again. So definitely yeah. let people know Steve Dickerson is not who people should vote for. I also want to let people know, I forgot to mention, this is the holler hour. We want to hear from y'all. So <laughs> please, uh, that was my best attempt as a New York, California guy to say y'all. Uh, I, I, I've been trying. Um, we want to hear from you guys. <laughs> so please let us know if you want to jump in and holler about anything. Message us for the link. We will give it to you. You can jump on from anywhere about anything, no matter what you want to talk about. Robin Kimbrough Hayes, who just ran for the yes. Senate, is asking about T-shirts. We do have T-shirts. There's merch we got on em. the website. Go to tnholler.com. There's a merch store there, and you can sport a holler T-shirt. And, <laughs> and yes, Justin Jones will be on here, too. We also have a comment from McBride JM saying, fuck this little troll coming to our area. The emotion oh, you, that McBride. Ben Shapiro elicits from people is quite passionate. So we're definitely going to talk to Justin Jones about that. A few things. Let's just go ahead and talk about this. Uh, the first headline was from the Nashville scene deserves so a lot good. of credit. They said asshole moving the town. Ben Shapiro announced he and the daily wire are coming to Nashville. Thanks. We hate it. So good. <laughs> like Honestly, I am so impressed by that because I don't even yeah. think we would have written that headline. <laughs> And I like to think of us as like the fire breathers around here, but no, I just, I could look at that all day long. Yeah. And then this one was almost as good. This is from the independent Oh, Ben then Shapiro you know. thinks he's welcome in Nashville. Bless his heart for people who aren't in Tennessee. <laughs> like bless his heart is like saying, fuck you. It's the Southern genteel sure. way of saying, fuck you. So that headline is actually almost as good as this headline, not quite as good. So <laughs> hats off to both the independent and Nashville scene. And hats on to Governor Lee, who said, welcome to Tennessee, Real Daily Wire. Oh so he God. took the time to welcome Ben Shapiro, even though Justin and uh, the, the protesters were outside of the Capitol for 62 days right. and never, ever, ever heard from him. Uh, one other thing about this, and we're going to show some clips of who these guys are so that you guys can understand why there's so much anger towards Ben Shapiro moving here. But one thing you should know is that this is uh, his cousin, Mary Elizabeth Wilson, she uh, is his cousin, and she is quoted about him saying that growing up is great because you get to choose which relatives you spend time with and which ones you cut out of your life without any regret. So that wow. is his own cousin saying that about him on, on Wikipedia, <laughs> uh, which I thought was pretty amazing. And then Justin had some things. Oh, W. Kamal Bell said, Nashville doesn't care about Ben Shapiro's feelings talking about <laughs> the asshole moving to town headline. And then uh, Justin says, we have enough racist monuments we're trying to move already. So, oh, so you know, good. definitely people have some intense feelings one way or another about Ben Shapiro. And there are reasons for that. Um, tweets like this. What is the evidence that black Americans wake up knowing they could be murdered just for being black? What is the evidence to justify this proposition 
asks this white guy who apparently yeah. doesn't speak to black people ever. I mean, to just really dismiss the feelings of black people in that way is, is so ugly. And, you know, it's so clear that this guy needs to have an intervention, frankly, and be around more people. Because, you know, if you talk to black people in your life, you know that they are having conversations with their kids that white people don't need to have with right. their own kids. And that in itself is a problem. Right. Yeah. It's, I mean, he's just a blatant racist and you can find, you know, um, <laughs> yeah, thank you, Sam. I mean, fuck Ben Shapiro. I think we can all resoundingly agree with that. Um, but yeah, I, Justin, I'd actually really be curious to hear your thoughts on this because I've seen, you know, I, I, I think um, I tweeted something out from the holler that, you know, called him a, I, like, you know, we called him a white supremacist um, because of these views that he has. I mean, he propagates like white supremacist views all the time. So like, what else are you supposed to call him? And I saw someone commented and said, oh, well, like, you know, um, how can you say that he is of Jewish heritage? Yes. And, and yes, I'd, I'd like to, to weigh in on that. that. Sure. First of all, so people know I'm Jewish. My grandparents uh, survived the Holocaust. They're now past Gene and Harry. I should say their name. I'm sure my mom is watching, so she'll like to hear that. Uh, Jews can be racist, everybody. <laughs> like that's possible. You know, they shouldn't be because they've been through a lot. Like we should mm -hmm. know what it's like to be targeted and, you know, but I, I, and then the person who you're talking about also said, well, there's a difference between white supremacist and racist. I mean, to me, that's a distinction without a difference. Like it, yeah. if you're racist, it's because you think that one race is superior to another. Right. Uh, you know, he may not be wearing a hood on his head, but to be racist is to believe that white people are superior. And just in time to talk about racists like Ben Shapiro <laughs> Uh, is our friend Justin Jones. Justin, how are you, man? It's so good to see you. Great so to see you. To see you all too. Thanks for having me today. Of course, man. First of all, let me ask you, is that a 62-day hair growth? <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> Mixed with the coronavirus, the barbershop's being closed. And oh, okay. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, Justin, first of all, I mean, I, I just want to say we're going to talk about Ben Shapiro because I saw that you had some serious thoughts about that. And, you know, I definitely want to get your opinion and your feelings and it's all linked together. But first, I mean, I don't feel like I've talked to you since the protest, since the 62 days that you spent out there. I know you've taken some time to yourself. How are you feeling? And, you know, what was your general takeaway from the protest? Yeah, I'm feeling, um, I'm feeling hopeful of all the young people who turned out, but still, you know, we still are dis disappointed in how um, the governor chose to respond to the protest by criminalizing protests even further, by increasing penalties on protests. And so, um, you know, just still trying to process that and figure out how can we move forward against this very unconstitutional law that these extremists in Tennessee passed. Um, to me, it's the most anti-protest legislation. We've talked to people across the nation and it's the worst legislation that they've seen um, in any state right now. And so um, Tennessee's making those headlines again. But what gives me hope is that there's so many young people, multiracial movement of young people who took that plaza, who reclaimed that plaza, it will forever be Ida B. Wells Plaza. It'll forever be a place of resistance to the white supremacy and hatefulness that happens in the building across the street. And so, so that's what gives me hope. And just talking about Ben Shapiro, I think it's just so interesting that um, how the, we were out there 62 days non-violently. Um, we, ke we kept the area clean. We, we had dance classes, we had, 
food. We, we help our friends who are houseless. And the governor chose not to meet with us to say, I would not meet with you. Instead, I'll arrest you and put barricades and lock the door. But we have a white supremacist media publication coming and the governor gives them the red carpet welcome saying, we're so excited to have you in Tennessee. Welcome, you, you have all these politicians welcoming them. And so it's, to me, it seems like in Tennessee, free speech, the first amendment, the constitution, which we celebrate today, Constitution Day, um, only applies to those who are white, straight men in Tennessee, not to all of us. And that's disappointing as well. Justin, first of all, let me just tell you how proud I am of you for, and everybody that was out there. I know it wasn't just you for being out there. And I know that the legislation was super ugly and they deserve to be called out for what they're doing. But I do sort of think that in that way, you achieved your goal, which is like, just like with Selma and crossing the bridge, you they exposed the dark hearts of the people with those billy clubs and that led to progress. And I think you all did that too. You showed us how dark and ugly the spirit is of this Republican supermajority of governor Lee, who was afraid to meet with you, but not only you Tennessee black caucus. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so in that way, it seems like you were very successful, even though there's now a really ugly law in the books. Do you feel that? Definitely. I think, you know, um, one thing that one of my civil rights mentors, Diane Nash, taught me is that power only shows itself when it has to. And so what's happening is that we see power revealing itself. We see them, they're fighting us back. Their resistance to us shows us that what we're doing was making an impact. If protesting did not make an impact, they would not be passing laws during a special session to criminalize it and to stop it. They were impacted by that. They were afraid of that. The governor, you know, they called that meeting about this bus. They said, okay, maybe this will get them to leave. We said, no, governor, that was just one of our demands. And so they said, okay, we'll ignore them. And then we'll fight them. We'll arrest them 200 times, raid their camp. And every time we said, you take it down and we'll put it right back, put it right back, put it right back. And so we say the same thing to our democracy in Tennessee is that they try and take it down and we'll put it right back. You know, the governor is not the final authority in our state. The Legislature's not the final authority in our state. We are going to the courts. We've been working, you know, been, we've been talking to many lawyers about it. We're going to challenge this in the courts. We still have court dates for our own, you know, arrests that are happening. Mm -hmm. And we're going to challenge it as unconstitutional. The day before, the, the day after that bill passed, and they passed that, um, they brought me in before the court to try and get an ankle bracelet put on me and to ban me from the Capitol again. And I'm thankful for the, for the judge that day. The judge said we cannot allow um, constitutional rights to be. Um, attacked in this way, it sets a very dangerous precedent. And so that was a victory that day after the court when the, when the lawmakers aligned with some prosecutors said, we're gonna try and shut them up this way. And that didn't work. And so I, th I agree that um, this is a victory that we were out there 62 days. Again, young people, people who um, the state would rather not hear their voices, would rather not see, they were irritated with us being out there, held that plaza and created an alternative community based on democracy, based on a multiracial um, vision, based on uplifting marginalized voices of black people, based off of mutual aid where we, we were never without food there, we were never without water because the community kept coming day after day to drop off new supplies. Like it was, to me, it was the greatest example of the beloved community that I've seen in all my years of activism. And that's what we're fighting for. And that's the vision of Tennessee that we're gonna achieve if we continue pushing this movement. That's really amazing. Yeah, I, I mean, I just want to echo what Justin said, um, Justin Canoe said, um, and just thank you for what you did. And it's just, yeah, it's good to see you as well. And I hope that you're able to, you know, at least take it easy a little bit now, take a little bit of a breather. I know that you're always working for working for justice, but hopefully you've been able to to take care of, of yourself and everything. And um, yeah, it's just good to see you. And I also, I have a question as well, just like Justin, I uh, 
Kanu and I were talking before you got on um, about the media coverage of your protest. And I, I, I know that it was like, you know, at least within mainstream media, I mean, you did get some, some coverage and I'm, I'm, I think some of it was, I think some of it was good and I'm glad for that. But what, what is your overall impression of how your protest was covered and what do you wish had been different? I think it's sad that some um, media chose to just cover when the law was passed. And we have mm -hmm. to address to everyone, the law was not passed in a vacuum. The law was passed because of a movement that happened um, that the, the law was trying to stop. And so we talk about this law as like, oh, you know, this, this just came out of nowhere. And even some media I had to talk to some national media and say, this came after 62 days of protesting. It's a direct response. And so even though the governor chose not to meet with us, this was his response to us. And it's also why we're going to replace him come this next time he's up for re-election. But what happened with this law being passed was that now all the national media is talking about it. All the, you know, you had Congress members um, like Ayanna Presley, you had um, the NAACP, you had ACLU National writing about this. And those groups, you know, who, who we've been trying to reach out to. And so, you know, I'm glad that so many groups are now taking, you know, taking attention, putting attention onto this issue. But we have to say that we should not wait till rights are taken away for us to take them seriously. That everything we learned in the civil rights movement is that we only have the rights we have because we not only fought for them and gained them, but we maintained them. And so the same thing with voting rights, like a lot of us are now seeing these attacks on voting and you had civil rights elders saying, you only can keep these rights if you fight for them. No one would have, would have ever guessed that the right to protest would be taken away in Tennessee in such an extreme fashion. But we knew this because we know who they were. You know, this is not surprising to me when you look at who Governor Lee is. He's a man who's defended white supremacy in symbol and in policy. Like, like Kanu always says, you know, he doesn't pass laws, they pass lawsuits in our state. You know, they're in court again over this anti-abortion um, where they have to tell doctors to lie to patients about abortion procedures. They're in court over these voucher laws that are taking money from public education to put into private schools that's based in a racist history. And so we know who Governor Lee is. He, he dressed up in Confederate uniforms as a student. And so um, today he doesn't have that uniform on, but he still has that mentality on. And so like, again, this is not surprising to me. And I'm glad for the media who were out there. There were some amazing reporters out there, particularly, you know, in Tennessee Holler was out there and some amazing reporters of color who really stood out there and who were out there um, telling the story that needed to be told and who were not just saying it from like a very headline, you know, position, but were actually getting to know why we were out there and what was the different facets of this intergenerational movement, um, people who were houseless, what brought us here together? Because mo most of the people in the plaza, we did not know each other. You know, mm -hmm. we everyone says that they were not they were brought to the plaza for a reason and they found purpose and they stayed. And so that's the most beautiful thing is you have people, young people who had never been activists before now engage in a lifelong commitment to activism. So many of our young people, I don't have it on me. I'm, I'm a little scared of needles right now, but I'm gonna try and get it. But so many of the young people got tattoos saying good trouble as a way to commemorate this summer. Um, and that's just something that I thought was so powerful. That's wow. beautiful and it segues me perfectly into what I was about to say, which is that I think while you were out there, John Lewis passed and Republicans throughout the state lamented his death, praised his life, talked about what a wonderful guy he was. Meanwhile, they're vilifying you and everybody who was out there who are doing exactly what John Lewis would be doing in this situation. The hypocrisy is deep and endless to act like John Lewis was a great man or you think John Lewis was a great man and then turn around and criminalize the very act that he partook in is absolutely outrageous. And then on top of that, you had people like Senator Jack Johnson saying that the protesters were paid. So I want to give you a chance to address that directly. What do you have to say to people like Senator Jack Johnson, who voted to keep the KKK Grand Wizard bust in our state capitol, who is 
dismissing the protests as paid protesters who weren't even from Tennessee. Yeah. Well, definitely at first, your first point about John Lewis, we were there in the tradition of good trouble, yeah, as well as C.T. Vivian, another civil rights leader who passed away, um, who has national roots. And so I think, you know, it's interesting that we love to celebrate activists in death and we love to kind of make it seem like the civil rights movement is over, but it's not over. And the plaza showed us that the movement continues and it continues not by just renaming streets and putting up, you know, memorial markers, but it continues by us continuing that tradition of good trouble that John Lewis called us to. He wrote a letter in his death that was published, as you saw, and he commended young activists, said, I was inspired by you. One of the last places he visited was Black Lives Matter Plaza in DC. I mean, the spirit of John Lewis was alive in the plaza. And, and to this other point of, of these white supremacists like Jack Johnson, um, these extremists, condemning us as being paid, condemning us as being outside agitators. Um, as you saw, the, the, the day after the vote, I was able to talk to Senator Jack Johnson, or at least try to when he walked out the meeting, and he refused to talk to me. And my simple questions to him were, you know, were you born racist or did you become racist? Because honestly, that is what we must ask them, is that racism is not just about having a black friend, but racism is about policies that you pass. Racism is about him passing laws that protect a Confederate racist KKK leader statue, but do not protect voting rights, do not protect healthcare, do not protect our right to peace, peaceably assemble in the state. And so Senator Jack Johnson, again, represents this long lineage of extremists who've stood against movements for progress throughout our history. And so just like we have John Lewis's in our history, we also have George Wallace's. We also have, you know, these, these other um, leaders who stood as barriers to progress. And so Jack Johnson, Governor Bill Lee, Speaker Cameron Sexton, Leader William Lambert, they are on the wrong side of history. And I'm afraid that history will not be kind when our children read history books. They will be looked at like the George Wallace's of, of our day and the Bull Connors of our day, because then once again, they're on the wrong side of history. And it's so clear, you know, like there's no question that it feels like when we look back at this, when, you know, generations are now voting when younger people are voting when you know when we evolve as a society here in Tennessee that we are going to look back at these guys in that way and it's just so striking to see it right here with us one of the videos that came out last week was an interview with a grand dragon uh who was born in Tennessee in in Roan Mountain and they were asking him about monuments about statues and his answers for why we had to preserve them were exactly the same as the answers that are coming from these legislators in committee and in the state capitol commission exactly the same answers so you know i completely agree with you that this is a long tradition of people standing in the way of progress and standing in the way of history and then and the only way we keep moving forward is by taking action the way that you have and the way that everybody is every single day. This is not a fight that ends in November when an election happens. Elections are markers in the road, but they are not the destination. And everybody who's involved needs to understand that no matter what the result is in November, this keeps going and, and everybody needs to be involved. Justin, on that note, and I don't want to keep you forever, I really appreciate you jumping in here. I know that I've been hounding you to come on for a long time and you needed your time and I want to give it to you. But I do want to ask you what now? What now? I think the key thing is to continue 
to bring new people to the movement. I think that's what the plaza really taught me is that, again, I was not there by myself. It was a movement of people. And so to see all these young people who had never really been involved, some of them had said it was their first protest, but who chose to spend the night and then just were there for you know, 50, 60 days. I think that's what we have to do is we have to inspire a new generation to say that it is okay to, to, to seize your power now, that we don't have to wait until you have a title or a degree, but you have power now. And in fact, your power is more powerful than the power than those people in the state capitol, because look at what you do when you just simply sit out there and sing you know, um, our songs, the plaza belongs to the people, we're not gonna stop to equal. That makes people, you know, the 200 state troopers tremble to a fact where they have to pass laws to get you away. It makes a, govern, a governor who's the highest authority in our state so afraid that he won't even come out the office to meet with you and will lock the door and go out back entrances to get away from you. That is power. And that's the power of, of the people that has transformed the South and transformed the nation throughout our history. Um, it's, it's the same power that you know led people like Diane Nash to get on those buses and say, we're not gonna allow violence to overcome nonviolence. And so I say the same thing with this law is that we're not gonna allow a racist, um, Jim Crow law to stop us from protesting. Um, we're re-strategizing, yes, we're regrouping, yes, but we're not stopping. And that plaza then and now and always will belong to the people. Um, and so we, you know, we're planning to continue to challenge this law in the courts and in the streets. We're planning to help continue to engage voter turnout, but we know that elections alone are just um, one tactic. Everyone's saying go vote, go vote. But what we need is, as I told Mike Bloomberg when he came to Nashville, is we need a revolution. We need a revolution that and, and, and people are like, well, revolution, but a revolution is about rebuilding. It's about getting things at the root and saying that we can, there's a better way than what we're doing. And so, yes, we're gonna vote, but also we're gonna, we're gonna try and empower some of these young people who've been in the streets to also maybe run for office. We're gonna empower some of these young people to go to these meetings and say, we're gonna sit in the legislative meeting when they come back in January. Um, hopefully COVID will be done, they'll let, let us in, but we're gonna go be outside if, if not, and we're gonna hold them accountable and let them know that you are temporary public um, employees. You are not a king. You are not a god. You are an employee. And if you don't do your job right, you can be replaced. You can be evicted. Um, and, and, and that's what we have to do is we have to remind them that we really have the power. Um, and, and that's the thing that's really giving me hope. The other thing I would say to everyone um, is I know there's been a lot and I've been tweeting about it about Ben Shapiro moving to Nashville um, and these white supremacists. And I think that what's even more dangerous than the white supremacists who wear the sheets and even Ben Shapiro and Tommy Lauren, I would say, are the white supremacists who wear suits and who pass laws. That's who we have to pay attention to because that's who's really impacting our lives. People like Ben Shapiro are dangerous because what they do is they, their, their racist rhetoric, their, their hateful rhetoric gives validation to hateful actions. I think we cannot separate Ben Shapiro's rhetoric from what we're seeing at the border right now where you have um, migrant women, women of color having their uteruses taken out. And because you have hateful rhetoric, it, it, it legitimizes hateful action. You cannot separate Ben Shapiro from these, these white supremacists who are running over protesters. Hateful rhetoric validates hateful action. We have to keep repeating it. And not only that, but we have to look at what's going, in the, in the, going on at the legislature. Excuse me, I'm kind of getting worked up here because that's what really disturbs me is seeing people like Jeremy Faison, seeing people like our US Senate candidate, um, Bill Haggerty, seeing people like Governor Lee say, oh, we love you, Ben Shapiro. Welcome to Nashville. You, we, we, you will feel at home here. Why would we make a white supremacist feel at home here, but make your own people who've lived here, who've been out here, people of color feel like their lives are at risk? Why would you allow someone who's condemned Muslims and, and who's, who's put them at risk feel welcome here while making your own 
constituents who are of many different faiths, including Muslim, feel unsafe and unwelcome here. It makes me very upset because I think that they have this vision of Tennessee that is based off of this ideal image of the Southern aristocracy that is dead. The Confederacy lost. I'm sorry, Bill Lee. I'm sorry you know, to his friends, but you guys lost and it's time to get over it. And let's build a multiracial democracy based off of human rights and um, environmental protections and uh, racial justice. Let's build a democracy that really is the America that we never were. And that's what we have to do. Well, I am with you. You know, I, I definitely agree that there's a direct line between a lot of the policies that we're seeing and the rhetoric. I think that that's what we're up against is this steady drumbeat of talking points, coordinated talking points through the right wing media. And they're really good at it. You know, we don't really have that on the other side, you know, to our credit and detriment. It's a much more fragmented messaging system, a much bigger tent. And on, on their side, they they stay in line and, and they make sure that they are all saying the same things to each other. So we need to stay passionate and engaged. I truly believe there are more of us than there are of them. And, you know, Ben Shapiro coming to Nashville is going to be interesting because he now becomes your jurisdiction, our jurisdiction. You know, the things that he says are we're going to be watching them a lot closer. And it's no surprise that that right-wing group is very excited about it because he's going to become a megaphone for the governor Bill Lees and, and Marsha Blackburns of the world. So, you know, they're, they're, they're excited. Uh, somebody said something here that I just wanted to address saying, what are you really getting with this power? And I, I'm going to assume that it's a good faith question. And I think, you know, you don't really know, like nobody knows where things are headed. I don't think, you know, even the greatest activists knew exactly what was going to come of their actions, but they knew what they were up against and they knew what, what, what uh, ideals they were fighting for. And so I think to me, that would be the answer. It's what are you getting with this power that you're, you're imposing? I think it's, you don't know, but you do know between the difference between right and wrong. What, what would your answer to that yeah. be, Justin? My answer would be is that by empowering people to know that they have power, it, it creates a more critically engaged citizenry. Like, that's the thing that we need is we need people who are, who are willing to critically analyze what's happening, not just blind followers. That's what's wrong with you, with some people on the other side is they just go based off of what one person says, and it is the law. It is the word of God for them. And so I think what we get with this power is, is we get to create an alternative vision. Like, not only are we fighting against something, but you have to fight for something. You have to have a proactive vision of what you're fighting for. And as I keep repeating, that is a multiracial democracy. It's a democracy in which we uplift the voices of impacted communities, those impacted by racism, those impacted by um, environmental degradation and poverty. That's who we need to be uplifting. And that's what power is about. I think, you know, as Cornell West said, is that um, truth is allowing suffering to speak. And so part of power is that we want to allow suffering to speak. We want to bring suffering into the halls of power so that when they deny passing healthcare expansion, we can have mothers who've lost children say, let us hear our voices. Let us hear our testimony of losing our loved ones. When we have them denying climate change, let's have people like my grandparents who are in the California Bay Area with all the smoke from these wildfires, can't even go outside with a red sun, looks like midnight in the middle of the day. Yeah. Let's hear, allow suffering to speak. Um, and that's what power is. Power is about, you know, I think a lot of people are afraid when we say like things like Black Lives Matter because they feel like, oh, I don't matter anymore. Because they think that when we get in power, we will be like our opponents, that we will um, silence voices that are different than ours, that we will oppress them. And that's what makes them afraid. But the truth is, is that our vision for America, at least I can speak for myself, is very different than the vision of our oppressors. We do not want to become the evil we're fighting against when we're in power. We don't want to become the oppressors 
um, on the other side. That is not the vision of America we're fighting for. We're fighting for America that has a redeemed in its soul that is at peace with itself, as Dr. King said. That's what we're fighting for. And in which, like, you know, like for me, I'm 25 years old now. Like, I don't want to be out here sleeping outside the Capitol every day. I want to be able to hang out with my dog, my girlfriend, go out to, you know, nature hikes. I love going to these waterfalls. That's what I want to do with life. And so power is about making it so that when my children come to this world, they won't have to put up with the same foolishness that we're putting up with every day, in which we have to be afraid of our lives because we're black walking the streets, or we have to be afraid we'll, we'll, you know, climate crisis devastate our lives and our futures. Like, we don't want our children to have that anxiety of having to hide in their schools doing gun drills because of shootings in their schools anymore. We don't want that. We want to thrive and not only survive. That is what power can get us if we really work for it. Yeah. I get, go ahead, Cassie. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I think that that was just really beautifully said. And I I just wanted to kind of echo some of those points about about power and about like what we are fighting for. And I, I completely agree with you. And I know I can speak for everybody on this on this broadcast right now, that what the left is fighting for, you know, broad strokes is to um, figure out how to make a world where you have the most amount of human flourishing um, for the most amount of people. Like what kind of system can we create? What kind of society, what kind of culture do we want to foster that can provide those things for for as many people as possible? And, and we know that a better world is possible. That's why we're fighting for it. And when you talk about power, I mean, I think that, that, that you can speak to that probably better than most people that I know. Um, but at least, you know, I organize with the Sunrise Movement and we talk about this all the time. And what you were saying earlier about building, you know, a revolution, a mass mobilization of people, it's the people, as you said, that have the power, but we have to, you know, we have to organize and foster a, a good, healthy organizational environment that is fighting for this better world together. But it's only, we can only accomplish that if we do it together, because we do have the power, as you said so eloquently, um, you know, you scared all of those legislators literally just by sitting outside of their building. Like right. that it's, is extraordinary. And so it's putting it, your bodies out there. Yeah. So I, I mean, I think that I think that's something that we really need to work on on the left. And that's what you're doing. That's what, you know, the, a lot of great organizations and groups are doing is um, building this solidarity with the working class, with each other and with literally the proletariat in this country. We don't really have a, a middle class as much anymore. It's what we what, um, you know, we, we need to build this together. So. A couple of a couple of stories I just wanted to run by you guys while we have Justin here and, and then we'll let you go. Uh, one is, did you see the story about a, a woman in Mississippi who lied about her address to get health care for her three kids and herself and is now facing decades in prison for trying to get health care? I know you mentioned not passing Medicaid expansion in Tennessee. And when we posted about that, of course, there were a number of people who said, well, you shouldn't break the rules. But to be facing decades in prison in the richest country in the world, just because you want your kids to be able to see a doctor when they get sick, something is deeply, deeply wrong with that. And every single day, I'm more reaffirmed in my conviction for Medicare for all. Justin, what do you think when you hear that? I think it's ridiculous. And I definitely agree with your, your statement of having Medicare for all. And I, I cannot separated from the fact that these lawmakers who, if they serve one term, they get health care from life that's paid for us here in Tennessee. Um, you have Jeremy Durham, who's kicked out the legislature because of sexual harassing, uh, you know, dozens of women suing to get his health care back. And so I think it's so interesting that what's good for them is not good for us, that they can have health care for life. They can have health care as a right, but we cannot. I um, mean, look at how much money we give in corporate um, tax breaks in Tennessee um, to FedEx to, um, to bring groups like HCA here. Like we, we have so much corporate welfare, but when everyday people are saying that I don't want to hand out, I want to hand up, we criminalize them and put them in jail. I think it's immoral and it's extreme. And it is based off of this narrative of not having enough that is false. 
yeah. um, in the nation. Because you know, we look at who's really made profit and who's making all this wealth during this pandemic. People like Jeff Bezos, these corporate, these corporations, this hand over fist quality. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's wild. It's, it's getting worse and worse. Uh, I see that we have another guest here, Justin. I, I, you can stay. Or, do you want, want have something you want to say to Justin Shane, or should we let Justin? I, I go? just want. I just want to say that Justin is like awesome at doing all this stuff in Nashville and trying to fight the good fight. And, um, and I think all of us across the state are really appreciative of your efforts to try to bring change and positive change in our state and to make our state a much better place to live and work. And I do also want to say that I I agree with Justin on his sentiments about Ben Shapiro. And I do want to add Ben Shapiro is an asshole. He should stay in California. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Shane, thanks for saying that. I think nobody on here will disagree with you. Cassie, do you know if Nathan wants to talk to Justin also? Um, I I think Nathan... <laughs> I think I think Nathan had some things to say about Cookville. I would need to check his message again, um, but I'm sure he'd be he'd be down to say hello. All right, well, we're gonna bring him in now, and then we'll let Justin go. Nathan, how are you, sir? Doing well. How are you? Good. Uh, Justin and Shane are still on here with us. If you have anything to say to them, and then I've we've kept Justin a long time, so I'm gonna let him go. But if if yeah, you got well, comment, before you go, Justin, I yeah. uh, just want to let you know um, I really appreciate everything you've been doing in Nashville, and. Uh, you know, come back and or stick around and watch what I'm going to be talking about because what you've been doing for the last 60 plus days is influencing the uh, direct peaceful participation we've been able to take part in in Cookville in our rural community. So props to you for everything you're doing and the changes that you're making and the word that you're spreading. And it is making a difference out here in, in the rural areas too. Appreciate it, brother. Thank you, Shane. And thanks, Nathan, so much. Um, and, and we got to connect soon in person, you know, maybe when we're We'll come down and see y'all. We'll, we'll get the plaza up and going. We can get everyone to come outside of the Capitol for a day and scare the hell out of them, really. <laughs> Justin, Absolutely. thanks so much for joining us today. Come back soon. And, uh, you know, again, from everybody on here and, and many, many more, thank you for what you're doing. Thank you so thank much. You. And let's invite Ben Shapiro next time. We'll, we'll have a good conversation. Anytime. I, I mean, it. we have been trying to get a Republican on here for 18 <laughs> months. And nobody has taken us up on it. I genuinely mean it. Anybody who wants to come on here and holler at us, I don't care what party you vote with, jump on here. We want to hear from you. So absolutely, we'd love to have Ben Shapiro on here. Justin, take care, brother. Thank you.